Hey, Yellowstone listeners, this is Caroline. And this is Mike. If you guys are enjoying our Yellowstone podcast, then we invite you to come check out our 1883 podcast. Each week, Caroline and me are going to be breaking down Taylor Sheridan's brand new prequel series to Yellowstone 1883. We're going to have interviews with cast members. We're going to be doing deep dives into the lore. We're going to be connecting it to Yellowstone. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come take a trip into the past with us, 138 years, and experience the Wild West of 1883. you bring her here how am i supposed to know you're gonna be here you don't fucking work here This is Steph. This is Sheila. And welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the Yellowstone season finale. This is episode 10. And we have some very special guests with us today. We have all of our fellow Pod Clubhousers. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, so it's not a Pod us? Clubhouse party if there's not an air horn. Tell us who you are. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for I think you've had us. us all on. Thank you for having us all yes. here together. It's very cramped in this little recording booth. It's like yeah, we're, we're playing <laughs> like Jing, like playing like uh, podcasting like Twister. So it's like very, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Green left. Um, exactly. Right Paul, hit the record button with your toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So this episode is actually called Grass on the Streets and Weeds on the Rooftops. And it's a very, like, poetic title. I know we heard it in the episode, but um, does it kind of set a tone for you for this episode? Like, going and watching it, knowing that, like, grass on the streets and weeds on the rooftop, to me, sounds like very much of, like, a post-apocalyptic, like, there's no more life here kind of a scenario. Did you guys get that feeling from the title? If you combine it with, say, John's outlook that that they're eventually going to to lose control of this place, this place, you know, Montana. And by that, they mean it's going to be developed by young people <laughs> with their fancy new airports and shit like that. Um, and then the, the combination with the premonition of, uh, of say, whatever Casey's thing means with the end of us and John's description of, of what he expects to see in 100 years. Yeah, it's all a very pessimistic outlook that all combines into progress means the death of us all. Yay! <laughs> well, and that's the discussion that John had with the judge, too, that, like, he thinks that God's going to just end it all and start over again, so... Yeah, and, and pessimistic with the 100 years, too, right? Yeah. I mean, he's like, we don't even make it 100 years. And from his point of view and Beth's point of view, all of the Dutton's point of view and Broken Rock Reservation, none of them expect to be here in 100 years. 50 years, maybe, maybe not. You know, Rip even says that at the very beginning of the episode to Beth. You know, you run away, you come back in three years. This ranch may not, not be here. I may not be here. You know, and you, know, you break your promise. I won't be here. You know, yeah. So very, very doom and gloom as we end this season four. Yellowstone. 
one of the things I was thinking about looking back on the season and the way he's acted, I was curious, is this a John, and especially in the judge's office where he's he's basically saying we have to compromise with the summer Higginses of the world because we're we're not winning the fight. So I took it kind of what he was saying is we're not going to win the fight. The best we have is maybe reaching compromise with them. And so we have to let the summers go so that we can repel the larger way of life destroying things that may come our way. Is that fair? And is, is did the show do the work over the course of the season? I guess this is more of a season art question. Did the work do the work over the season to really change John that way? I mean, this is this is this is a kinder, gentler, more reflective John Dutton than I think we've ever seen before. I like where John has come to a point this season, like where his arc has brought him. We've seen with Carter, he's working to sort of people build. Maybe this is a way for him to come back to that legacy question that he was building earlier in the season with the horses. And we saw a little bit of this character building with Jimmy as well when Jimmy returned and they have this nice conversation in the barn. And John tells me, you know, he always has a place here. Texas was good for him. I just liked how nurturing John has become this season. And I like the word that you use, Mike. It's reflective. He's been very reflective because he's holding on to a pipe dream. He's holding on to a reality that that can't last. And I think in some moments he's trying to savor as much as he can, as well as trying to build up the future generation in the Jimmies and, and the Carters of the world. Yeah, I agree. I think we've seen a lot softer side of John this season and I was even taking note that he actually told Beth I love you which maybe he's done before in the you know seasons of Yellowstone but I don't remember that many times actually my notes were I don't think that he says this very much exactly so I was just thinking I don't know that he's ever really sat down and just you know had those moments with his children like I love you and that's different for him you know I had a hard time with John this season because I didn't feel like even after all these years that I've grown to love him, that I really knew what he was going to do next. So there was a lot of times when it wasn't just so straightforward as he's being like a kinder, gentler John. It was like, I'm not, he like would zig when I thought he would zag. And sometimes that was disorienting for me. Um, You know, the argument that he had last week with Beth went way further than I was expecting. And, you know, just just a lot of different parts to his personality has altered that I'll be interested to see if they stick with it or is this just almost like a had like a life flash before my eyes kind of situation but I'm going to go back to my old ways at the end of the day so I'm curious to see if in the next season he will continue this change and and maybe summer is the indicator of that because it seems like he's definitely hooked his wagon to her star you know over the course of the season he's had what he's he's had to come back from induced coma several gunshots and decide how he wanted to be he's defended this idea of what is right and especially in the last few episodes that's been kind of a central idea of what he's doing um and even even kind of in a surprising way say at the end of last episode when he tries to kick beth out of the house for tactics that when caroline and i were talking about it it seems like he was fine with everything everything she'd done before is in sort of like a i don't really want to know the details kind of way so the fact that he turned on her like that felt new i don't know that element of it felt different like a like like a change i'm not i'm not sure if it's if that's what you're getting at here mike is did they do the work to have 
John undergo this change. I mean, it's not like it's just one episode, but it may right. only be like three episodes. Well, and can I throw out that when you said that, Paul, it like points out a fundamental change about him of turning against family in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't feel right to me. Like he can dislike the things that Beth does, but he has said from the beginning, like, you know, she hasn't finished a meal since she was 14. And it's like now today he's done with that kind of antics, maybe perhaps, but turning against family and in Instead, speaking up for someone outside of family feels so completely fundamentally different for him that I was like, okay, I'm not really sure what this John's about and if this John works for me. I was reflecting on that a lot and I put my notes and I don't often call attention to my notes, but I I like the poetry I came up here. I said, is he considering his morality as he finally considers his mortality? And it struck me that, yeah, it's it feels like it's only been a few episodes, but really he's been on this arc since he woke up from the shooting at the beginning of the season. I think the takeaway is at least my takeaway anyway that I'm where I am right now is this whole season has been him changing the rules and not necessarily telling Beth his number one attack dog that the rules changed and that was her eye opener last week was we still fight and we still kill wolves not sheep but now we do it with morality as defined by me which is a new thing that's never been uttered really on the show before and and I think that's all tied into him staring down this life where all of his children have fled from him he's got this big empty house he's and he has Carter to ride with and and not much else you know there's been a lot of reflecting by John on how why does everyone leave why has everyone left you know and you know with casey he lets casey go you know he he actually in a not selfish move understands that for casey's and his family's sake his immediate family's sake he needs to let them let them leave the house for a while that's pretty unselfish like john and and so i think i guess all a long way of saying i think i think the shifting morality of his is all tied into him really realizing he's not going to live forever and there's just something else that I had pondered as well. He's also revealed how lonely he is this season. It's kind of an extension of, of the conversation that we're having here. When Beth was reading that book of, of essays a couple of episodes back, he's like, you know, um, he tells it, he says, I'm lonely. And I feel like Summer fills some sort of a void in him. And this morality versus mortality question. And vice I think versa. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I think this all ties into, you know, his view of the world is shifting and he's trying to do this more legacy building to fortify really what he's built his entire life so that this way he's got something left and maybe making it a place that people want to come back to. One one thing I know is going to bother people as as they're listening to this is, did they patch up the Beth and John fight too fast? That was a pretty knockdown fight that we've never seen a schism between the two of them that we've never seen before. Did they patch it up too fast by resolving it in this episode? And were you surprised that they resolved it at the very beginning of this episode? Or, or did it feel right and, and did it work for you? I'm not surprised that they patched it up so fast because I had a really hard time with the way that John handled that and like kicking her out and like the fan comments on Facebook. Like I had a lot of defending. I'm like, this does not make sense. So I'm like was happy to see that they patched it up and that he didn't actually kick her out because I felt that that was like very out of character you know, they all do some pretty despicable things. So to me, like picking Summer over Beth and telling her to leave was just not okay. I mean, I was surprised she came to ask, can I stay? Which I thought was like a good thing for them to have that conversation and for him to say, you always have a home here. 
I mean, she's not wrong in saying, well, I'm not sure, but I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear it. But I was glad that they patched it up in that because I just couldn't picture the Duttons of like Beth moving out. And like, I was like, no, this messes up Rip. This is like, I was not okay. I was like, no, she cannot leave. So that made me very happy that early on she was like, okay, we're going to stay. I was like, yes. Okay. (laughs) Did it surprise you guys that Rip was so, I guess he he gave such an ultimatum, you know, of like, if you leave, I'm not going to be here. Like that kind of thing. Were you guys surprised at that? I don't think so. I think that that's what Rip kind of has to do with Beth. I think he has to be really firm with her and clear with her. I mean, because they've been through so much back and forth. Like, she's done this before, right? Hasn't they been together and then they're not and she messes with them? Like, this has been a long time coming that they're actually together. I could understand how he's like, nope, this is like our one chance. Don't leave now. Well, and she kind of talks in circles a little bit with... um and, and it, so he he does need just a certain directness about his yeah. life. I like that he talks to her like that, too. Like, he's yeah. just very direct with her. I think this is what Rip's way of setting some boundaries. And this is, like, as vulnerable, I think, as he can get. Basically saying, like, I'm not going to let you break my heart again. So, yeah, he has to give her this ultimatum in order to protect himself and to save them. But also, just getting back to the question about Beth and John from before... I agree with Steph. It did felt very out of character. It felt very out of place. And going against the grain of what John is trying to build here, you know, he wants to have, you know, his children in his home. So kicking her out, it, you know, we talked about it a lot last week where it felt like a gut reaction to what happened to Summer. But I think also this was like a lesson in humility that Beth needed to learn. I mean, this, this might actually be her first time saying, I'm sorry. Mm. I don't recall that word coming out of her mouth about her maybe she was saying you'll be sorry for this but but like for her to be the one like laying on the altar of humility i i don't have any recollection in 40 episodes saying sorry and also taking someone someone's advice you know versus versus just direction from her father like she she never listens to rip i mean that's I think part of the attraction for him is that she just is such a fucking honey badger. You know, she does whatever she wants, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I think Rip is amused by that until he's not, which he was no longer amused by that in this episode. Do you think uh, hardcore Beth fans will not like to see her fold so fast? Because personally, I think it keeps with her character that she is so loyal to her dad that she will. She, he might be the only person that she would basically beg to. I'll agree with that. Um, Yeah. But I think Beth fans might not like it. (laughs) What do you guys think? This is some of the criticism. I think, Steph, you and I were probably talking about in season three, I want to say. Beth just continually has these adult tantrums. And at some point, like, girl, you got to grow up. So I think this is important for her to have to go through this sort of sour grapes kind of a moment and, you know, have a dose of her own medicine in order to see that, you know, in order to be a family, to be a functional family. And like, you know, we could talk about the whole table saga that's been going on um, (laughs) that, you know, she's got to she's got to go through certain trials and tribulations here herself, have her own personal growth. Otherwise, as a character, she stagnates. And we were getting we get tired of the the tantrums. Even John was getting tired of the tantrums. 
Do you honestly think, though, you guys, by the, I mean, do you guys feel like she changed? I mean, given, I mean, in the cold open, I agree. We saw a lot of growth there. But, like, then the rest of it was, like, quintessential Beth. Like, she literally threw an anorodic chair. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, she's still kind of, like, just kind of, like, honey badger to the, to the nth degree, like, for the rest of the episode, you know? Yeah, but wasn't she a little bit defanged, though, when she went to the prison? I mean, oh, after yeah. all the buildup, there's, she He's not holding that guy, like drawing a little bead of blood at his throat with a with a stiletto. Come on, that's not the that best. Was I know. So not like, satisfying. I agree. It was not, I agree. She, she, she was so defanged at it. Even when she's talking to Jamie, where's the setting shit in his office on fire? That's what I'm looking for from Beth. She's giving him options. What is this? A call line? Come on. It felt I mean, like a game that, show. And behind door number one, we have <laughs> right. It, it, it felt very un. Like the wedding for sure felt like Beth. But even that, though, holding a priest at gunpoint versus just paying him money, Beth would throw around money. I mean, right? I mean, she was acting very not like herself in this episode. I actually loved that she kidnapped a priest. I thought that was <laughs> great. <laughs> See, I thought she just she would just pay him off and bring him up there, and and then and then even when he's like, I have no idea who you people are. Really, you don't know the largest ranch in the area. The guy you're running not, for governor. You're not familiar with it. Like, come on. I know you were at the priest, diner down the street last week. You don't know that guy from the news. Like the people I, who are like liable to kidnap you in this county. The Duttons right. are on that list. Like, <laughs> right. there's there's only so many people who are going to kidnap people in right. this in this town. It's like they should be on your radar. Like you know people. To watch like you know we have sex offender list we should have like a kidnap likelihood list <laughs> you know how there's those people picking the nits about what bit the horse was using in 1883 yes yes wow. we do well, as- that tag didn't exist in 1883 excuse me that was my yeah. impression of the subreddit hey, editors are dying don't as, as someone who was who was married in the catholic church i can tell you they must run a pretty sloppy ship up there in montana in montana <laughs> oh, word as someone who was married by a catholic priest yes you cannot get married outside. That's outside that's already a no-no. Without a mass, uh-uh. without going to classes, right. whoever you are, say words to that person. <laughs> Make up your vows your as you go along. What did, right. they, what did they discuss in the ride from the town out to the ranch? Did she just have the gun to his car, like carotid or something? Like she didn't say, "I'm Beth Dutton. You'll be marrying me today." Like there's some basic information you think would have gotten exchanged in that. And those frame. names aren't hard. Beth Dutton, Rip Wheeler. You only got to remember four words. That's it. You know, I kind of wondered in that moment, um, you know how sometimes um, clues are dropped in just the most throwaway lines that can come mm-hmm. back and haunt you. I, has she said something about how the priest, he can sign the thing, can't he, or whatever. <laughs> and Rip doesn't exist on paper, I thought. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. And so if all of a sudden he does exist on paper and he's basically your muscle for taking care of very unique problems, could that be bad? Or am I just kind of overthinking that part of it? I thought what Beth was saying, like, sign the thing. I think that she was trying to, like, leave him assets at some point. But then it comes back to your question, Paul, like, how would that happen if he doesn't exist? Like, he doesn't have a social security number to to take in right. a 401k. He doesn't have a birth date. 
I mean, right. I mean that that's going to be a very tricky marriage license for that priest to fill out. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, larger picture, you guys, there's got to be fans out there who are excited to actually see Rip and Beth get married, and and even if it was all like pretty wild how it happened, I mean, the whole like the ring is yours and I'm yours and all that. Like, would, would, I mean, did anyone enjoy it? it? Yes, I did. <laughs> Were you swooning a little, Steph? Because you know, a I was little, like, I love so what cute. he said. I'm oh. yours. Like, I loved that. I loved it. I was creeped out by the ring. Like, did you wash it all first? Like, but Beth, do you know what he did to get that ring? <laughs> you know exactly where he what got I was that thinking ring. when he said, it's my mother's ring. And I was thinking like, girl, don't ask how you got it. Don't ask. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, don't I think Beth questions. would be turned on by that. I don't think she might. <laughs> I think she's like, think she's she like baby, that, I would yeah. have I would have had a shovel with you. You should have brought me along. I, yes, I agree. I think oh that gosh. she would see that as an extreme token of affection and she would be here for it. But I love Lloyd's reaction. Like that was just the best day weather wedding ever. <laughs> no, no, I loved it. Because we had said before that we didn't really need to see a Beth and Rip wedding. Like definitely don't need to see her picking out flowers. Like that's just not who the Duttons are. So this was, it was good. I enjoyed that this is the kind of wedding I would expect from Beth and Rip and... I, it was just sweet and so cute, and he said, "I'm yours." Yeah. There were no, moments. There were moments yeah. that were that were like got to you, but I mean, you know, you have to you have to overlook an awful lot of like, you know, I'm not going to be wearing the stress very long, Dad. Uh. Kind of comments where you're like, "Oh, cringe." Um, but I think this is also John's opportunity to be like, "Okay, now we can set some boundaries again. Like now that I've gotten you broken down enough, I can build you back up the way that I want you to." Like, keep in mind that I'm your father, not your buddy. Like, so don't say those things to me. But I also appreciate the fact that she didn't get married in a white dress, that she basically got married in a white fur and like a, a mm-hmm. slinky metallic dress underneath. That that was a very Beth Dutton kind of a choice for a wedding. Dress, she might have picked it like given all the choices in the world. She might have still picked that outfit. Right. Most women go with the uh, utility of a black dress. Uh, Beth goes with the utility of a gold slip and a white fur. Mm. And she, she makes it work for all of her errands during the day. Kidnapping a priest, interrogating a conjugal visit with a prisoner, getting married. It's, you know, it's good for all seasons. Pretty sure she stopped for gas right. somewhere. When she goes from day to night, right? Yeah. Well, she, did, she did put her hair down. Day to night, indeed. Um, wait, just because you said that, the way that they ran to the house, and, and, yeah. and it's one thing to have Beth run because she'd have like smaller strides with heels and whatnot, but Rip is actually running <laughs> to yeah. get in the house. I was like, y'all are cracking me up. Like, I've never seen Rip run anywhere. He always strides in that pissy right. kind of stride kind of way. I've never seen him like jog. It's a, a consummation <laughs> run. Yeah, it certainly was. He's I mean, like, let's she, do it. She said it to John. I'm not going to be wearing it for very long. Mm-hmm. So, oh my gosh. I love that he stopped to pick up Lloyd. That was my single favorite thing of the entire wedding was that there are two things he had to do. One, go get dead mama's ring, you know, the payoff on that. But he had to go pick up Lloyd. I love that because they had enough witnesses. They had John. They had Carter, the mm-hmm. stall cleaner. The, the car's not old enough, I guess. But birthdays don't matter here anyway. I mean, well, <laughs> Rip, Rip, Rip could only be 18. Who knows? He was important throughout this story. You know, he had yeah. his yeah. little touchstone moments. It was like everyone has to have a moment with Lloyd. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, Lloyd and Carter had such a connection. They, they mm-hmm. did such a good job of like the past and the future in Lloyd and Carter. And the two of them have bridged a lot of these characters, I thought, all season long. Yeah, like that mentoring relationship. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did you think that the wedding was done in a haphazard way, in sort of that GI being sent off to war kind of way, where you don't know what's going to happen next, right? So you want to have that under your belt. Do you agree that the actions that she took the next day, they built it up like anything could happen? But did you get that feeling as you were watching it that, all right, she's on the precipice now of ending her own life in some way? No. Or, no. Did, okay. Yeah, I Sorry. didn't. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't want I to think about like no, no, like she wasn't gonna no. Her taking herself out is not a factor in her equation whatsoever. I I disagree. I disagree. I think she's ready to jump on a bomb for John. I think that's her reaction to that entire thing of being chastised to fight with his new revised rules. Was I don't know how today is going to end. I'm going to go make some threats and I'm going to go wave guns around and who knows how that may end. I I I think she marries Rip there to get him formally in the family and to do a good thing, right? She makes a promise, you know, a kinder, gentler Beth is coming along kind of thing. And I think this is all part of her crossing off personal T's and dotting personal I's before the unknown of whatever tomorrow brings when she goes to have a showdown with Jamie. No, I, I think she's ready to die for John if she has to. Yeah, I thought that that was her motivation or her intent was that she was doing all of these things because she is ready to die. But the actual moment with Terrell Riggins, because I wasn't quite sure exactly why she was going there. And then when she ended up in Jamie's office, like, yeah, she didn't seem like she was going there to die, like, or to kill him and go straight to jail or whatever. So it just seemed a little bit of a letdown sort of dramatically if you're going to go assume that she's doing all of these things to set up sort of the end of her life. Like she's like, I may not come back tomorrow kind of thing. So I don't know. I did think it was a little bit of a letdown on the drama level. As much as I'll, I'll, I could get from that scene with Jamie, she pulled that gun out to be like, you know, I'm not fucking around here. <laughs> but, yeah, she wasn't actually going to shoot him. So I, I was kind of confused yeah. as to why she was saying like, oh, you know, I need to I need to do this before something happens tomorrow and this and that. And then whatever happened tomorrow, I was like, really? Like you thought you were going to like die or something? Because it's like, <laughs> like those those two as siblings have been arguing in ways where guns have come up before. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was just going to you know jump in and say like, I thought that she was much closer to suicide the time that jamie picked her up from the um the yeah, bar that she was the... at with dan jenkins or whatever I yeah think dan jenkins and she took the gun out of the glove box and like you know yes, blew a okay. hole in the roof of yeah the that cab. was like more dramatic than the confrontation than with jamie yeah, yeah agreed but that's why i thought that beth kind of moved on from the whole like throwing herself on the bomb for john kind of thing i think she's going to throw herself on the proverbial bomb but not the actual bomb i think because she's she's got too much to do and she's too much of an asset i think she realizes that you know she is too much of an asset to john to to end her own life but she's doing things in such a way that it's going to make it really hard for her to not be in prison. The same way we talked a little bit about how it was maybe a little underwhelming her visit to the prison, uh, which and, and I think the reason that was underwhelming was finding out Jamie had been there took all of the wind out of her sails. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was expecting that. I think she thought she was going to have to get to, you know, making this guy bleed a little bit in the conjugal visit room uh, <laughs> before she got information. And, and he really just like immediately gave it up, you know. Uh, and so she decided she had bigger fish to fry. But let, let's talk about that in his office, Jamie's office. One, why does he still have that assistant? That assistant should be fired the way she, 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 she's like a masochist. Like, there's someone in your office. Has she not been given a picture of Jamie? Like, don't, I mean, of Beth, like, don't let this woman in. 
Remember the last time you let her in, she burnt a hole in our table, our very expensive government table with her cigarette. Don't let her in my office anymore. Anyway, but the glass that she from the baseball that she threw at my head. I feel like the show was setting up that Jamie killing Garrett was this big (gasps) moment. And it didn't hit me that way because I thought all season long it was the only way it ever made sense. I'm curious how you guys thought that whole scene played out with the first two options of of him being his father turning state's evidence on him and Jamie going to jail and committing suicide or uh, rip her husband, killing Garrett and then killing Jamie for what he did with the abortion and the uh, sterilizing or the option three, which we don't get to see. But of course, option three has to be you go kill your father the way you should have done it originally from Beth's point of view. Was that a big surprise that that's what it turned out to be to you guys? I'm really curious because it wasn't to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm just way off base here. The way that Garrett was leaning against the creek there and he's like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. And, 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 and it was like very much the character was done. You know, it was, it was at the very tippy end of his, of his little purpose on the show. And it became very super clear what was up. I mean, even just pulling in the look on Jamie's face, you could see like there was, he was there for one job. However, that scene though, where she's describing the options, it reminded me of some of the better villain monologues that I've seen. Uh, like Mike, you've seen uh, the Watchmen movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember when Ozymandias is like, I already did the thing like a half an hour ago. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> this is kind of like that, where she's like, wouldn't you like to know which one I chose? It reminded me of that. Kind of that, it's already done. I can't stop the, the wheels of progress here. I'm sorry. And I really liked that kind of ballsy moment for her. And then seeing Jamie on his knees sniveling in his own office like that. Uh, yeah, she had him. She That's definitely been had my him. word for him all season, sniveling. Yeah. Just when you can't think he can be more pathetic, he <laughs> scrobbles in his own <laughs> office. Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. What did you think, Caroline? Were, were you taken aback by it? I was not taken aback by him actually pulling the trigger. He didn't have a choice at that point. I mean, he does not want to get ripped apart by Rip. I think that one was the worst option for him when he was thinking about it, because that was the most personal. You know, the rest of it, he's a lawyer dealing with the you know state's evidence, all that stuff. I don't know. I think there's a lot he could have done there. But the idea that Rip was going to come after him, I think, sealed the deal on that. He had to do something. And it was well laid out with last week when it was all like, we have to basically make Garrett not be a part of your story if you're going to run for governor. And there was all that, like, what are we going to do with him kind of thing? You know, it was all laid out for us that this is what was going to have to happen in that exact moment when it happened. I felt really bad for Jamie just in terms of like this poor man. He has no life at all. (laughs) He finally buys this property. He finally has some things to call his own. And it's like now he's going to look out at his beautiful babbling creek and think of his, you know, shooting his dad in the head. So this guy, it just everything always seems to get toxic for him pretty darn fast can't canoe can't enjoy his can't river canoe. <laughs> no picnicking on that creek bed uh-uh. stay away from the water jamie jesus go live in the city where there's no cricks god cricks. <laughs> I, said, I said it i said cricks. he's owning it 
Uh, I actually thought that was a great scene, though, with Garrett, though, because it really it was the first scene with Garrett that I really, really enjoyed because I think he is just such a bad guy. Capital B, capital G, bad guy. But that scene, it didn't hit me the first time. But when I watched it the second time, it really hit me that he knew he was going to die. Everything in that scene was him giving final advice to his son about what he's learned and about how good the last six months have been, but also reminders from his point of view about what to do with the Duttons going forward. It was a really interesting scene and the way he doesn't look at Jamie when when he finally raises the gun. Really well done farewell scene and uh, fantastic acting all around. It played out such the opposite from last year's finale in terms of like, think of the fireworks and the explosions and the everything, right? And then mm-hmm. no one died. And in this one, you're right. It's a quiet simple moment between two people and one pop of a gun there is no antics there's no running there's no chasing there was no fist fight there was nothing it was just quiet death and that has some interest as a viewer all unto itself that it just wasn't this big dramatic thing Right. Well, it's the difference of, the, of Vito Corleone, Marlon Brando falling over silently in yeah. his apple garden, apple orchard versus Michael taking over the head of the family and killing all of his enemies in a in a blaze of violence. I mean, it's that contrast, both in both powerful, uh, just, you know, completely opposite approaches to how they deliver the punch. I'm still curious, though, because I think this is going to be a big topic for people watching the episode. And I want your Steph and Sheila's take about Beth's options, the conversation. And was the third option of surprise to you when you see Jamie pull up at uh, at his house with Garrett? I don't think that the third option was a surprise. It did. My emotion watching that scene was, like Caroline said, sadness. Like, I I just felt bad for Jamie because he had no other option but to kill his dad. And... I do think that Garrett Randall's motives were impure and not because he loves you and wants the best for you. I think he wanted something out of Jamie, but I think that Jamie, like that was kind of his only ally. And I think I said this last episode, like, like he doesn't have John, he doesn't have Beth and now he doesn't have Garrett. Like literally his only sort of friend is Christina. Like that's not a great place to be. Like, I don't, (laughs) don't really want her in my corner. Like she's not there for Jamie either. So, you know, I was sad. I felt bad for him that this was like his only option. Yeah. It was pretty clear to me that he was going to kill him. And it was just, yeah, like a sad goodbye, like saying, I love you too. And then just pulling the trigger. I'm like, but it wasn't shocking to me. Just going back to what Beth was saying about option one and option two, those were such bad outcomes for Jamie. Like you'll be raped in prison and you'll commit suicide or Rip's going to rip you apart with his bare hands. There's no way that sniveling Jamie is going to opt for either one of those because it just is not something that he's capable of following through. So him taking option three and maybe not thinking through the repercussions because you you now have a bear trap set for you by the most cunning person in your world. He didn't think it through knowing that she was going to sabotage him at, at the very end after he'd gone through this really horrific moment with his dad. So for the spineless aspect of him, I think option three was the only thing that he could do. So there was no way for Garrett Randall to get out of this without Jamie pulling the trigger. This was a very, very much a a foreshadowed, forecasted scenario outcome for me, I thought. 
It's like when Ron Popeil stops you and says, but wait, there's more. You know, that son, of a, <laughs> that son of a bitch knows he's got me. And Beth knows Jamie. She knows she knows what makes him tick. If she knows anyone in the show, she knows how to move Jamie. Uh, Caroline, I, I really want to hear you on this because I know you were surprised by this, I, I think, anyway. Beth showing up at the train station and taking pictures. How did that hit you? I think that was actually a, general, a genuine surprise for a lot of people. The way that they shot that scene, it did not surprise me someone was in the bushes there, okay? Because it was all the way, you could tell, you could tell the way that we were going going just on the driver's side window and just the, the way everything was happening. It was like, okay, someone's definitely going to be sitting there. But you guys, how much more impactful would it have been had it been Rip ready to punch him out? <laughs> like, what if he got a one-two punch there and he actually did get beat to the hell? You know, like that would have been kind of amazing. So I was surprised it was Beth because just a photograph at the end of the whole thing, it just seemed like she had it over his head anyway yeah i mean there could have been lloyd and rip standing there there could have been john standing there there could have been like so many there could have been an entire police force standing there that she tipped off like a million things could have been standing there that would have been tremendously impactful so for it to be beth when we knew she was going to always hold this over his head we knew she was going to blackmail him all along that was just kind of the surprise for me but it also hits home that it's personal for her too, right? Yes. Not, uh, but beyond the fact, the fact that she knows about the train station and knows literally where it is, it's one thing to know the train station exists and it's another thing to actually know where it is. But who knows? But maybe Rip was in the car or something like down the road or wherever she was parked. But uh, Can you see her like, walking uh, in those rocks in the dark in those heels and whatnot? <laughs> Just, just leave Beth, the engine running, do, honey. I got to go do, take some pictures. You but. do anything, right? <laughs> There's a flaw in this plan, though. Does anyone see the flaw in this plan, in Beth's plan? Jamie, if he had any guts, might have just turned around and shot her and pushed her off the cliff. <laughs> well, sure, 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 sure. But that wasn't actually the flaw in the plan, though, that I, that I was thinking about. Okay, go ahead. She can't use the pictures. She can't use those pictures because she, the first question anyone's going to ask is, where were these taken? Oh, over the state line in Wyoming at a place we all call the train station that has got a fuck ton of dead bodies connected to the Yellowstone. She can never use those pictures. It like, will... Give me your phone. Let me find the geo tracking you know, device. For exactly. Pictures. If if, he, if if Jamie had a sense, an ounce of sense in his head, he'd be like, you can't use those pictures because it will expose literally every dead body the Yellowstone has thrown in this this canyon for generations and how'd you know about it beth and how and then just go from there (laughs) right just just uh, yeah any any prosecutors gonna look at those pictures and be like where's the geotracking on this just like Sheila said where where was this taken show me and they're gonna look it over the edge and it's gonna be this is like the second time we've been at the train station just this season right i mean uh but john was at the train station everyone went to the train station this season i think all of the duttons have been there now they all have bodies there literally uh so yeah she can never really actually use those pictures but maybe it's just the threat of it is enough to keep jamie in line that's why i think john or Rip standing there would have just been like, even if they didn't take any pictures, they just stared him down, you know, like, dang, that would have been good. Well, it takes away any plausible deniability on her part, right? She could have always said, I never went to, I don't know what the train station is, but she can't say that now, Mm. right? She can't say that now. She's the last Dutton to not, to, for us not to know. Maybe Monica can take over everything. Maybe she doesn't know where the train (laughs) station is. Well, at the end of this season, so what is Beth's journey? What 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 happened to her this season? What's your guys' take on where we leave? Uh, what you know? What Beth's journey was over the course of the season? Did she have one? Is she in the same place she started from? No, I think she's in a different place. I think she's gone through a lot with Carter, 
And there was a lot that happened, believe it or not, for me with the two of them this episode when he said, you know, call me mama. And, um, oh, you're that's what you are. Like, you're behaving like my mama, right? And she's like, no, you only get one, blah, blah, blah. But her saying that and saying, like, I can be nobody's mother, like the amount of self-loathing I still get from her was very high in this conversation. So I think that her resolve has been tested a lot with Carter. Uh, knowing how she can respond in certain situations has been tested with what has happened with John, that there are limits to how far she can go. And just having the humility that she had to go through, the humbleness that she's had to learn just in these last couple of episodes, and also putting herself out there as being very vulnerable to Rip and allowing herself to feel those feelings. I think Beth has gone through a lot this season, and I liked the fact that they focused on her. And it wasn't necessarily her emotions, you know, on the forefront, but like when you dive into, you know, like as we do each of these episodes, you dive into what's happening with her, where her motivations are. I think that she's gone through a very character defining, character altering in a way arc where she's had limits set on her by Rip, by John, by Carter. And this is a place that she's not used to being in. So I, I like where she's gone. It's been hard for her. But believe it or not, I think it was easier to watch her being violently beaten as a catharsis for her as opposed to watching this emotional roller coaster that she's been on. It's been hard to watch, but I think at the end of it, I think she's going to be a better Dutton for it. I think she's going to be a better soldier. I'm not sure how much she's really changed, though, like overall. I'm a little confused by her saying that tomorrow you'll see a softer, kinder Beth. Like, I just kind of don't believe that, especially with the way she reacted to Carter calling her mom. And then she said, hey, uh, good morning, baby. And then she was like so mean about it. And you start crying like that doesn't feel softer and kinder. So I don't know. I just I think that you're right in that she has had to go through a lot. And I like that people are now calling her on her bullshit. And like, you know, you can't just like in order to be part of these relationships you have to also be like human you can't just be a monster but I don't know I don't think that's going to be that easy for her just to like switch gears I guess that's kind of what it felt like the way she said that was like well tomorrow I'll be different I'm like, eh. I don't know if that's true I definitely feel like the Carter moment absolutely <laughs> solidified the fact that this is not a 180 like this mm-hmm. isn't a kinder gentler Beth because a kinder gentler Beth would have just let it fly, you know, yeah. just, just not say anything. And especially not be so harsh to make him cry. Like she can say, I lost my mom and you lost yours. We're going to, we'll come up with a different name for you to call me. It can't be that, you know? Okay, cool. And she says, I'm your friend. So maybe that was still nicer than her just yep. being like, I just let you stay here. Or something, Right. Right. It's not the rip. You can stay in the, uh, in the cot with the bucket to pee in, you know, behavior either. So, you know, but I felt sad when Carter said, I'm just the stall cleaner. Like I, yeah. This little boy has been kicked about this season. At the end of the day, I don't have a lot of warm and fuzzies about how everyone treated Carter. Except for John. I think John has been excessively good with Carter. He, of as, course. As, as, yes. as a Tate stand-in. I'm surprised he's not calling him Tate 2 or something. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, like new Tate. Right? Like, right? Tater. Like, or just toot. Tater, just toot. tater tot. Yeah. Tater tot. Oh, that'd be funny. Tater 2. Uh, yeah, but no, I agree with you. I agree with you. What about you, Paul? What do you think about Beth? Is is a new leaf even possible with her? No. Uh, 
All right. Not not exactly, <laughs> but firework. But she's willing to temper herself. I mean, in in some ways, I think she did want to kill Jamie. She has, but she knows that it would damage John, and so she was happy with the solution of having John own him uh, with the picture. But the way that John reacted with the, I've tried not to love him, but I do, that's kind of the first admission that he does actually think that he loves Jamie. Because when uh, it was a previous season, I think it, it came up of, do, do you love him? And, and he was, he kind of paused and he didn't answer right away, as I recall, as like you might if, if you did. So I was in one way surprised by that response, but it seems like she knew it enough to not kill Jamie and she gave him that gift and so a gift of not killing your son and right. and and uh so that is kind of this kinder person in a way at least tempering what sh- what her instincts are to do because like you guys are saying this is still pretty best like behavior ripping someone's life apart and forcing him to kill another person and all that kind of stuff but the way she did it was in keeping with her dad's wishes that conversation with Rip where she's packing her bag at the very beginning and she says, like, no one wants me here. And he's and he's basically like newsflash. There's people who want you here kind of thing, which I'm not doing that justice. But that moment of people actually correcting her, talking back to her, saying you don't have it right. And he did that all season with, of course, being like, if you don't want that table, then sit at another table, like change what you're doing has been consistent. You know, we have been hearing that message of like the narrative you're telling Beth isn't the truth. And we're all not going to let you just tell it back to us and say, okay, we accept that no one wants you like, no, it's done. And we're all done with that. So that does give a little potential for some real change. And I think that's the approach, though, with Carter, though, too. I don't think she was intending to be cruel to him there. I think those are just kind of life lessons that Dutton's learn. And and Rip, too, you don't cry. That doesn't get you anywhere. Learn not to cry and, and be a person of action, not a person who cries. Cries is what Jamie does on his knees in the office when he's wetting himself. Like, don't cry. Uh, don't be that, Jamie. And and you don't, I don't need to be your mother because I'm your friend. And so what my thought was to Beth, I don't know that one makes a difference over the other. I think she just has this very triggering moment about her ability to be a mother. I think this is uh, remains a PTSD trigger for her because... Because of of Jamie and and what went on in her past, and we haven't even discussed, you know, now that her and Ripper married, they're going to have the children question conversation at some point. They're going to, and and it's all going to come up again. So I think the whole idea of motherhood to her is just such a trigger; she can't help herself there. And to be fair, her own mother was not a good person to her. No. So what yeah. a mom is isn't what she thinks she's being to Carter. You Didn't know, the like, mom have like a wild like the day she had her first period in the bathtub and stuff right wasn't that like oh a, evelyn was happen? a very she, harsh woman wasn't it christmas yeah she basically told her rub dirt on it and, and like log it off <laughs> like i mean that, that was kind that was essentially her advice like no, this she was she was a like, harsh wipe woman. the sand out of it and keep walking come on yeah, right, she was right. very harsh and and so then you could see why you wouldn't want to be given that label right because that doesn't right. mean a good yeah, thing to sure. beth but being someone's friend though i think to beth that means a, a lot and i, I think that's too. what she was trying to tell carter there one your life will be easier here if you stop crying and two having a friend is more important than having a mama 
Paul, to your point, this is the exact quote that John says. He goes, he is a disappointment and my greatest failure, but I raised him and I love him as much as I've tried not to. That is a startling thing to say out loud about a person who shares your name, if not your blood. And maybe he does share blood. Maybe, you know, remotely, we don't know still. But it finally hit me. John's relationship with Jamie, I think, is one that he doesn't care if he's beaten and broken. He just wants him alive. That's the only baseline condition he wants for Jamie. Beat him, kick him, abuse him, own him, blackmail him just make sure he's alive. And I don't think Beth was doing that out of the kindness of her heart. I think she was keeping him alive just because she does what John wants as much as she possibly can as she understands his orders. I don't think she was doing that to be kind to Jamie. I think she was just saying that there's utility in owning him uh, versus him being dead. As cathartic as it may be for him to be at the bottom of that ravine in Wyoming, he's more useful alive. John still has a governor's race he wants to get out of. So, you know, he needs Jamie to, you know, pull some strings, I'm sure, somewhere. Perhaps uh, just as a, as a quick uh, footnote for listeners from a legal perspective, what jailable offense would, would she have been committing? Well, it depends on what her employment agreement says. I mean, she, well, if she's committed fraud, it depends on it depends on how they term fraud, because if, if there are securities laws that come with jail time, if you're found guilty of, of bad dealing and, and fraud things that maybe she has done. I don't know that. I don't know that corporate espionage. I don't know what statute that is on the books, uh, what that looks like. Um, she, she definitely, she's definitely done suable things for sure, where she could be sued into oblivion. Well, she has done things that have involved damage to market equities, property and construction. So I'm sure that's probably where the espionage part takes place. No. Yeah, but she hasn't really done any of that, though. I mean, so at, at most, no, she, she was is, like the she was marionetting uh, the strings. Yeah, the <laughs> at most, maybe she is conspiracy and and an accomplice. You know, uh, you know, aiding and abetting. You know, criminal felonies, something like that. Yeah, I don't see her doing jail time for anything she's done for market equities. I think being sued into oblivion. You know, right. or as as. Uh, as well, Caroline uh, uh, Warner says so nicely, I'm going to rape your fucking ranch to death. <laughs> I mean, there's a Hallmark card if there ever was one. <laughs> so the corporate espionage portion is defined under the theft of trade secrets and economic espionage by the U.S. Economic Espionage Act of 1996. Oh, that it one? is a federal criminal offense. So there, they, they do have it's and there's the punishment is prison time and millions of dollars in damages is what this says. But the thing is, it's typically has to do with like a trade secret more than like and that is not exactly what happened here. But the yeah. economic, uh, I mean, the damage done economic economically to this fund is obviously huge if she's getting all this like national attention on this where they would have done this very quietly and done what they were going to do she committed more securities law crimes with the insider trading uh that she did last season with sloan what was his name oh rourke Rourke. yeah i mean she she yeah the stuff that she did when he was around was much more uh you go to a federal prison kind of thing yeah that's not doing you go to martha stewart prison yeah, you know, like country club prison kind of thing. I mean, that's what if she goes to prison, that's going to be what it is. But it's not going to be. It's going to be an economic thing where they're going to they're going to try. That's going to be the next attack on the ranch is is through lawsuits. Steph and Sheila, I want to ask you guys this because you guys have been following Caroline Warner very very carefully compared to the rest of us watchers. It seemed like that interaction that Beth had with her. It seemed like there's a TikTok going on right now where this girl is talking about how she's been stealing from 
target for like a bunch of years. And rather than target taking her down for the first offense, they waited until she collected up $3,000 worth of damages so that it can become a federal crime and then take her down. And now he's like grand larceny. Yeah. So is this a situation where Caroline Warner did know, which is what her words were saying. I knew Mm -hmm. we were going to bring you in and I gave you enough rope to hang yourself. And boy, did you do it. You did enough things that instead of just being a thorn in our side, we now have the, the true evidence and the real stuff to really take you down. Did that work for you guys? Because the delivery for me seemed like Caroline was pissed and shocked. But what she was saying was like, I knew you were going to do this all along. I was not shocked. Like, I have been saying that. Like, I think that Caroline Warner had Beth's number all along. I think she knew to keep her eye on Beth. I didn't think Beth was going to fool her for a second. So when she said, I gave you enough rope to hang yourself, I thought, oh, yeah. Like, of course she did. Like, that made sense to me because I kind of thought that Caroline Warner was already thinking that. So when she screamed at her, when she was like, we own the building, like all of it, it was so (laughs) much like visceral anger at her. Is Mm -hmm. it like a parent who knows the kid's going to do something screwed up, but you still scream that loud, even though you knew they were going to do it all along, but you just still have that like big old reaction. Like, did you guys feel like the reaction? Like, I thought if you knew she was going to do it, you come in like so much more. Yeah, this was so predictable. Like you freaking hung yourself and I knew you would. And like, why don't you go ahead and get out? Like we have the $3,000 with the damages. Now you may leave. You know, kind of feeling. I don't know. I was surprised at her anger at her when she knew she was going to do it all along. I think there was a couple of things that have gone on this season that Caroline Warner was a part of and allowed Beth to do certain things. Like, let me go out and talk to the reporter. Let me go out and disperse the crowd kind of a thing. You know, it'll do better coming from a local. I feel that that could have been any market equity lackey. And I feel that that was... Caroline Warner allowing Beth to like start this TikTok of her grand larceny to to draw that equivalent, that this was her way of proving that Beth was going to do this and allowing her to do enough that she could, you know, basically make the bed that she's or sleep in the bed that she's made. There we go. But for her to be as angry as she was, it wasn't necessarily a shock to me, but I think it was like it, it was letting Beth know in no uncertain terms how personal this had become for Caroline Warner, that you, you've you engaged in something where, like, we own the building that the call came into. Like, do you really think that we're not going to be able to figure this out? Just letting her know how personal this was, was for me, like, what that out- outburst was. Like, I am not going to let you, you little country hick, come and try to mess up my largest private equity firm in the world. Like, this is not something that I'm going to allow you to do. And in case you missed my point, I'm going to fucking rape your Like, so I think that she unloaded all holy hell to let Beth know that, like, you have literally met your match. And Steph and I said that earlier this season, like, there is going to be some fireworks kaboom. Quite literally, kabooms are going off tonight as we're recording that they were going to have this big showdown that we did not get. But we got that that showdown that, you know, that second catfight really of the night happening here. And for me, I thought it was a very satisfying way to sort of end this season with like the market equities exclamation point on it for me. Sheila, you've so wonderfully set us up for a segue of mentioning a second girl fight. Uh, I think mm-hmm. let's head over to the old bunkhouse boys, parentheses and girls. Okay. 
And what did you guys think about Jimmy's return with fiance Emily in tow? An engagement that we did not see on camera. I know. Yeah. Surprised. Did it surprise you that she was there? Maybe not even so much that they got engaged, but uh, what did you think when she walked in? And the fact that Mia and Laramie were there, Mia in particular, was there. If you're Jimmy and putting on, you know, wearing your girl hats or your women hats, <laughs> do you call an audible? Do you still announce your engagement? Do you call an audible? Do you, I mean, obviously, he had this whole speech plan to like, dear bunkhouse, here is my lady wife to be. I think we, you have to change now- your... We are Jimily. <laughs> you're you're Jimily. Uh, yes, we're, yeah. we're Jimily. Introducing introducing Jimily. I think you have to change that, that plan when Mia you is see in Mia. the room. Yes, yeah. you you have no, to. Say, I, I think I was a little first. more surprised yeah. that Mia was there versus that Emily tagged along. But oh God, I know he just walked in. He kind of gave her a little nod. I'm like, really? <laughs> oh my gosh! It, yeah, it, I right, think right. that that yeah, news have been to, right. 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 Shared a little bit differently, but I was shocked and amused that Mia just like lunged forward and punched Jimmy in the face. I loved it. Like, it was very funny. I don't know why. It's so funny. Well, you saw, but Emily, though, I mean, girl, girlfriend Dang, can fight. Girl, she can throw a punch. I love that. And I think it was Jake later was like, please don't ever punch me. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I think she earned she earned like instant respect. I mean, Chilla, yeah. here's your take. But I mean, not only can she fight, but then she sits down, she starts swigging, you know, whiskey like and playing it, poker yeah, kind of thing. Whiskey. Yeah, like just just another day for for a Texan come to Montana. So, oh, yeah. what did you think, Sheila? What did you think of the whole return? The return yeah, of Jimmy Lee. The return of Jimmy Lee. I think this is where, like, so where we see Jimmy grow up, and we still see like bits of immaturity in him. I don't think in his mind that Mia was going to have that kind of explosive reaction. I think this is where his like immaturity kind of came out. And maybe this part might be out of character. And maybe I want to debate this with you guys a little bit. Maybe him saying that just, you know, blunt and, you know, getting it right out of the way, you know, first thing he walks in. Is this maybe he wanted to kind of like get back at me a little bit because he's had time to think about you know, you wanted me to be a rodeo champion at risk of my own health. And this woman just loves me for me. No, I don't think he was doing that to get back at Mia. It's, I mean, I, that's why I wanted to talk to you he's about it. He's too because much I was, of a sweetheart. You can't, and he's Texan now. Texans don't do that. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the guidebook. Wow. Wow, that is a grunt. No, no, that's right. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. Nah, that's not the way we play it. Nah. So I I was, I was more along the lines of like this was his his immaturity and not like reading the room right to know that she would. Yeah. See, and I'm gonna go a little different. I'm gonna say it was his. He had committed to this new life, and he was gonna tell it like it is. So I'm not gonna necessarily call it immaturity. Maybe he didn't expect so an explosive response from Mia but it was more like this is the life I'm leading now and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be embarrassed about it and I'm not gonna hide it and I'm not gonna shirk away just because you're standing here I walked in here with my head held high and I'm gonna tell you what's going on I'm gonna introduce my fiance properly I'm not gonna be embarrassed or run out of the room and say stay in the truck until she leaves or something that would have been immature bullshit to me but this to me Good felt point. like yeah. I'm a man I'm gonna stand in my boots I'm gonna tell you what it is you're going to greet my fiance 
Because you know what? We're not going to act all like that. Mia's response was the immature, insane response. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what that was. And uh, Mia is not a Texan, clearly, because we don't do that. We're not taking our hoops off. We're not doing this crap. Like, mm -mm, there's other ways to get back at that situation that is not that. Uh, But I applaud Emily for popping right in. Although, do you guys think, was it weird that she stepped in front of Jimmy and and punched. I mean, or I mean, I guess Jimmy can't punch her back. So yeah, well, was that Jimmy, the only I mean, way you could play Jimmy's it? not going to start beating the shit out of Mia. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but you guys know what no, I mean. No, like, she, she's standing by her ledge. I, I, you know, <laughs> she, she's being his avatar there. She'd be like, "Oh no, you did." You know, like she's she's getting down and, and dirty. And I think I think they both did what they had to do. I I would have liked to have seen Jimmy handle it better, just insofar as. You know, showing a little bit of respect. Yes, she's there, and it's not. I mean, and I love that he says, "You don't even fucking work here." I mean, quote of the year. That was Jesus. the <laughs> best response. Quote of the year. Like, the they best keep response. saying that. Like, they why are they still it. here? Yeah. I was I mean, like, this is like yeah. the movie Clerks. It's like I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yes. Right. So, yes. Uh, you know, but I would have liked to see him, uh, you know, as, step outside and be like, "You're not going to want to hear what you have to hear. This is what it is," kind of thing. I, I think just polite. I don't think it was immature for him to do, and I don't think it was in any way trying to get a dig at her. I think he's just moved on. I think that was the entire Jimmy story, and I think this is the start of this whole episode showing the end result, right? It's been six to nine months. He's been away. He left an immature boy. He's come back a cowboy man, and this was the start of it. He, Like Caroline said, he's made a choice, and he is committed to it, and he feels no shame, and he's proud of it, and he's put the work in, and, you know, I am Jimmy Lee. I would have felt so angry had he turned on his heel and went out because this is a this is your other choice and said to Emily, stay out here and tell me. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I'm saying no, 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 no. I'm not not debating. Totally not debating with you. I'm just saying like I would have been so sad at Jimmy like that would have been that would have erased our entire season's worth of everything. So I'm glad he didn't do that. He could have just announced her as Emily from the four Mm -hmm. sixes. He didn't right. have to decree their their, you know, engagement. So I mean yeah, I guess no. there's an in between. He had his index cards, right. you know. Hello, my <laughs> name is Jimmy. Right. I this am engaged <laughs> to Emily, who right. is here. And he like does his turn and he presents her like a car, like Vanna White. Oh. You know, be like, We are Jimmy. This is what it is now. Like he had his index cards and if you if he drops them on the floor, he's fucked. Like he can't do the speech because he didn't number them and they're all out of order now. Hey, like, last week you, know. you guys, when they were standing outside and they were like kissing and stuff, I turned to Paul and said, He's gonna propose to her. So I was so surprised that he didn't propose in that oh. moment. So were you guys were genuinely surprised when he said fiance? Because I I was, I was yeah. like he's going to propose. Like this is this is the eminent feeling. Does it bother you that you didn't see it though? That seems like a moment that know. we want to see. Kind of like ripping okay. Beth get wedding, okay. right? You'd be pissed if they got married off screen. I'm not uh, as invested in but, like Jimmy as I am in Rip and Beth. But no, yeah. I didn't. I didn't need to see it for it to be like authentic and. You know, they've only been together like two weeks. So. <laughs> no, they, we said it's been like six to nine months, right? So some amount of months, right? No, not not Jimmy and Emily. Well, that's how much time has passed since the shooting and him heading off to 
Texas, right? Yeah, but like he didn't discover her right away. It was only when he started I still to jack, think, jack off the horse. I still think that's probably three months. I still think yeah, there's, maybe, probably, maybe, there's probably about, they, 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 were, they were together yeah, about three he, yeah, months now. Is had, I guess. You know, because he's had time to like, you know, become a roping aficionado. And, well, he was and, still pretty known at the ranch. He was known enough to get a call to go help at the dock, but no one really still kind of sure of who he was when yeah. he goes to meet her for the first time. You know, so I, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think they've been together for a while now. Paul, you noted like multiple skills that he seemed to show off there. There seemed to be some, I don't know, medical thing that they needed to see about that 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 horse. Oh yeah, they thought the they cat were had, had, uh, they they had pneumonia. pneumonia. Yeah, they were given antibiotics. I thought and, and, they thought and, it had pneumonia. Yeah, but he, he he mentioned something. It didn't run like it had. It yeah, like he like knew right. what he was talking about. Right, Wait, like there they, was multiple skills beyond the roping. Like he was actually eyeing up the animals more like a cowboy. They showed him doing that in Texas, easier. though. Right, I, I right. Hope, I'm saying I, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm proud I, that he showed more than one skill. I've been a fan of the Jimmy stuff all season long. I've really, really enjoyed it. I had my whole reasoning for it. I, I think for me, the whole Jimmy stuff, and I talked about this when I was on with you ladies uh, for episode seven, the whole Jimmy thing was everyone else on this ranch we've seen is a cowboy. We were introduced to them as a cowboy. The whole Jimmy arc for me was how do you become a cowboy? How does, you know, Jake become Jake? How does Lloyd become Lloyd? How does Rip become Rip from a cowboying standpoint, right? We got to see that in Jimmy. We, they got to, we got to watch him over 10 episodes become a cowboy man and really grow up and learn to love this life. This was such a great payoff for that. But in one of the montages in down in the four sixes, they show him doing stuff like the medical checks on the herd. And it was great that they paid that off here again. Like he knows that skill, right? He knows how to head. He knows how to heal, right? Rip even tests him, right? Or you know how to rope now, but can you get the heels, which seems infinitely harder from a roping skill uh, to get their back legs versus oh, getting a, a, yeah. a lasso over their head kind of thing. And he does, you know, and, even, even he earns Rip and Lloyd's respect. I, I love, I loved everything about this. I love this payoff for Jimmy in this episode. The, all of the Jimmy stuff done now. Are you guys ready to say goodbye to him? Or is he enough? Is him and Jimmy Lee enough to go watch the Four Sixes? Have they sold you guys beyond? You probably want to watch it anyway because it's connected to Yellowstone. But is there enough there for you to want to tune in about the Four Sixes when it's all said and done? What do you think? I mean, as far as a storyline, maybe not, but... <laughs> he kind of like, unwrapped the present a little bit when he said, "Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in Texas, we just don't have to have any struggles about ranching or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> like, well, then what's the show going to be about, Jim? Jim? I mean, come on now. Where's the tension? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's funny because that's the second week in a row where someone has said that life could be easier outside of Montana. Right? Beth says to John last week, "Break your promise, sell this ranch, and go live in Kansas or Oklahoma, where no one's going to." Oh. Give a fuck about your land, right? You can have as much land as you want. No one cares there. For twenty uh, and, generations. And and here, Jamie's saying in Texas, your your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor are ranchers. They're not coming after your land, kind of thing. Interesting. That's two weeks in a row using different parts of the country where y'all could be living an easier life than the constant war zone that you're in here in Montana. Who knew Bozeman was such a uh, was such a hot button? Yeah, I think as far as Jimmy's storyline, like I. I don't know that that would be enough to make me watch the four sixes, but I am because it's connected with Yellowstone. But I think that if you were going to sort of end Jimmy's storyline here at the Yellowstone, I really loved how he sort of had that last conversation with John and 
was like, you know, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to pay you what I owe and show that he has matured and grown up. And then for John to say, like, you don't owe me anything. Like, I just that, you know, made my heart grow two sizes. So it was so sweet. And I loved <laughs> not that. Three, that, just two. No, just two. Uh, that, that She's not a Grinch, that. Mike. She's not a Grinch. <laughs> it was already one size, Mike. So that's how that ended for Jimmy. Like technically, if that was the end of this storyline for him at the Yellowstone. So I really liked that. But I mean, obviously, this four sixes is about Texas. Of course, I'm going to watch. <laughs> Did it occur to anyone else that Mia in that last look uh, as they drive by, maybe Mia makes her way down to the four sixes. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. that is the drama. It's not about people coming to take your land. It's oh, people coming it to take your gym. Romantic Jim drama. That's just people. Dumb. It's going to be the Colby's and Dyna- it's going to be the Colby's oh. the dynasty from the eighties. You know, it's, you know, we're going to get, <laughs> we're going to get Emily and Mia just rolling around in the mud in lakes and rivers of Texas. <laughs> Colby's so. mom. Colby's mom, mom coming down Colby's for Thanksgiving. Mom, right? For, oh, for Thanksgiving. I did appreciate all the Colby Colby jokes. That was good stuff. That, that was, was good stuff. And it was told oh, that was it the was best. delivered very it. well by Jimmy in a way that actually felt yes. like he was finally stepping into it and like yeah. you know going like going at ease at them. with himself. Yeah. He's yeah. really a bunkhouse boy now. He like really he's a cowboy. Is. He really right. is. He didn't hide on his bed. <laughs> and he's ditched the baseball cap. He's got the cowboy hat. You know, it's all real. Yes. I felt authentic now. He's a real life boy. <laughs> he wears that four sixes jacket with a pride that he never wore his Yellowstone hat. You know, yeah. in any with in a confidence, maybe not a pride, but with a confidence that he never wore the Yellowstone baseball cap. Did it surprise you guys that John yeah. let him off the hook for like all that he supposedly owed and all that? Did it surprise you? No, I feel like this no. is where John's been going. Like this is, and even like you know, thinking about it, I was like. This is where I like John. I like John in this this people building, this character building mode for him where he's just trying to grow the next generation. He's not trying. He's not about indentured servitude, which is what we were kind of like fashioning Jimmy to be. He's about keeping I, promises. And he kept his promise to Jimmy's grandfather because right, yeah. Jimmy and all of a sudden after. is the man that his grandfather wanted him to be. And John is going to take personal pride in making Jimmy who he is today. You know, he saw what he needed to do with him. And I think he's going to look at Jimmy as a source of, of pride and say, like, you know, like, I did that. Like, I made him. And I think it's it's fair to give credit to John, despite the fact that we saw all this growth at the four sixes, because it was because of John he went to the mm-hmm. four sixes, right? Exactly. So it's like he mentored him in absentia there by sending him to another place to be mentored. It a little made me feel like, boy, why couldn't the Yellowstone have done more for Jimmy? He couldn't find his footing there at all. You know, maybe maybe he needed that fresh start. And and for sure we'll be watching the four sixes. I want to see oh, everything yeah. about it. <laughs> Can I give you all some horse facts? Because we see Metallic Cat in this episode. And I don't know how far or how deep you guys go into horse husbandry and uh, the leaderboard standings for cutting horses and roping horses. I've been kind of like put horses. off it for the number of times I, I had to hear. I, I jacked up my horse. I was yeah. hoping to get some upstate New York horse facts today. <laughs> I, well, I have I, I have spent the last 24 hours reading a lot about Metallic wow. Cat and his whole horse biography. Like, Can I'm not an expert by any means, but like... I think that's pronounced horsography. Horsography, yes. Yeah. Is, yes, horsography. <laughs> Can we just talk about for just a second the, the cute little pun, a play on words here, Metallic Cat. And did you see the logo 
on the horse's blanket. It looks like the Metallica logo. That is that horse's absolute real logo. I uh, just, I was just so yeah. chuckled and tickled by the fact that they were like, I'm like, that's a pun. <laughs> <laughs> so the fictional Yellowstone Ranch is now the 50% owner of Metallicat. Uh, the other 50% owner is the real life owner of Metallicat, which is the Rocking P Ranch. Uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019. They won a charity auction where the prize was your horse gets written into a storyline on Yellowstone. And oh, that cool. is how Metallicat came to be. The money raised went towards the, I think it's the NHRA, the National Horse Roping Association. Uh, and yeah, so that's how Metallicat came to be. And, and the ranch got like the name recognition. So Metallicat is like this superstar horse who doesn't show any, doesn't actually compete anymore himself. Now he's just a professional daddy. Uh, he gets a $10,000. <laughs> he gets a $10,000 stud fee. His 2022 stud fee is going to be $10,000 per breeding. He, his kids he has he has been the sire of over 47 million dollars worth of winnings have come from his uh from horses that he has sired his father highbrow cat who passed away sadly in 2019 at the age of 31 his sires have earned over 87 million dollars in earnings these cat horses, these guys have got the lineage. They have got the legs to run. Uh, Metallic Cat himself earned over $637,000 alone in his own earnings, which is like six times what like the best horses usually earn uh, in their like themselves in just showing. And, and I think he only did like 33 appearances. Uh, I think I read 33, somewhere in the 30s, like not a number of, of showing. But yeah, he won whenever he showed up to play. He is a beautiful red roan horse. And and he is affectionately known as Denver. Oh, so that is, that is Metallicat's, uh, his like colloquial name is Denver. Yeah, but he's a professional he's baby friends. daddy. <laughs> yes. Baby daddy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So yeah, Highbrow Cat, $87 million and, and counting still. And uh, just crossing over $47 million for uh, Metallicat. He's like number three, I think, on the list right now of like all time siring horses. So as we get into season five, you guys, I have a big question about the financials of the ranch, because that was such a huge issue for so many seasons leading up to this. And Mike, I'm glad that you're bringing in all this information about this horse, because now do we think that the financial well-being of the ranch has improved with the diversification of the funds that we talked about? They were they decided to put money into all these horses. It hasn't been explicit to me. So to you guys, especially Sheila and Steph, do you feel like we have a health your bottom line now we're doing better even though rip said this branch might not be here like what do we think is going on with the finances i think overall i don't feel more confident about the financial situation of the ranch maybe these plans are in place to help that but i wouldn't necessarily say that that they are on solid ground you know i think they're doing a little bit better than they were maybe. because they have bit. the least they have the least right for the land that jamie leased to market equity so they have that and they have tens of thousands of dollars worth of checks coming in for like the different rodeos that, that, you know, Travis was traveling to coming in. So I don't know if they're out of the woods, but I feel like this legacy building that John was after 
is lucrative enough that it's taking some of the pressure off. Like I remember when they had the, the cattle assassination a couple of seasons ago, this was something like a half a million dollars dead in a field. It, it wasn't liquid cash. It was their assets. They might have a little bit more liquid cash on them, but I don't think they're out of the woods. And I feel like that's probably going to be part of like the next strife. I'm just jumping in here to say, because I forgot to say it, Metallica's mom, his dom, uh, her, her name was Cher's Shadow. A horse's mother is called a dom. Well, yes. Well, that that is the official title. D A M, the, the French for for oh, woman a, in the like animal a, kingdom, like a dame, <laughs> like dame, a dame but without the e. Grand, yes, yeah, yes, grand, grand dom. dom, right? Yes, okay, because yes, yes, yes. I, I I'm still like you know on the track from professional daddy. I don't know. This is yeah. You're using the word daddy. Y'all give me dom. so much shit like, for having such damn. a bad mind, and here you all are putting <laughs> this share shadow in whips and chains and shit, and I don't want to hear. Like, it. Call her daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that crop was for something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good lord. Good lord. Uh, Caroline, to your point, I think I think this whole thing was was John trying to kind of reconfigure the ranch going forward. And I think this has been that pivot. And they haven't been really explicit about it, other than the checks that we've seen periodically come in and knowing that this horse is gonna be up in Montana now. One thing that they didn't really follow up with was the legacy aspect of that. Maybe that will come when Metallicat starts, you know, siring under the Yellowstone name. Maybe that's a Yellowstone horse kind of thing. And maybe that's where the legacy and branding that John was talking about will come in. Is that what they're going to do at the Yellowstone now? They're going to sire the horse? Uh, Couldn't that be done in Texas and just like shipped overnight or something? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's why they drove him up there. I I got the impression from Travis. Well, in in the fictional world is that, yeah, he's going to be standing in Montana now. I don't Mm, don't know why else you would bring him up there. Yeah. Yeah, I got that feeling, too. But the expert just went back to Texas. I was going to say, but the experts are not the Dutton, the Yellowstone Ranch. Why would they do that there? Well, I, I thought to myself, it would have been awesome if they were going to keep Jim Jimily on the show was Emily comes on and joins the ranch as a full-time oh, okay. vet at the Yellowstone, which it's crazy, actually, that they don't have a full-time vet, that they have to, like, that they bring one in, you know, go through all the animals periodically. But and then that Jimmy's would have been a perfect just the, opening. the fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're, like a, they're like a team, like a positioner. A team. Right. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Well, it's something that, you know, I'm curious that if you do three seasons of like, oh, no, the finances, and then you get to this point, and we have the line from Beth saying, like, that's my inheritance out there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really, really curious if we're going to actually get more really straightforward information about the finances, you know, because with Jamie gone, there seems to be no lawyer that's handling anything anymore. And I'm curious as anything of who's doing the books, like who is in charge of anything anymore? (laughs) Nobody's paying the bills. I don't know that John's going to become governor and we're not really on to the prediction part, but say he did, does he get to still have like the biggest ranch or like a controlling interest in like the biggest ranch in the state? And and be the chief executive in the state. Can that is that a thing? Typically, you put your investments into trust while you are in government. He may put the ranch into a trust. I think the ranch is already in a trust, though. I think that's oh, one okay. of the You're things. Right. I don't think it actually sits in John's name. I think it sits in the Yellowstone Trust Dutton Trust name. Actually, owns all of that. Um, I think that's why going back a couple seasons, whenever John would be like, "Beth, I need you to make a change to the trust," all that kind of stuff. That was my Kevin Costner. It was pretty good. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> so. I think that's already kind of done. I don't know how much actually stands in 
in John Dutton's name. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, but you're right, though. Typically, when someone takes office, they do put their investments into a blind trust so that they can't be seen to be moving the needle or profit, you know, profiteering from their position. You know, Steph, for 39 episodes, we've had like lawyer questions and now we have the lawyer on. Finally, he's here. How many times will like, we don't know? We're not we, lawyers. Yeah, we've got questions. Where's Mike? <laughs> to, to, I think Caroline mentioned, like, it drives me crazy that there's no active lawyer here. There should be a goddamn lawyer every episode. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of stuff that you, you need your Tom, and not, it's another Godfather reference, but you need your Tom Higgins. You need your consigliere. Where's the lawyer burying bodies with paperwork? You know, That's like, not go in like actual trips to the train station, but like paperwork body burying. Like, there has to be someone. I'm just saying. I'll, I will go out to Montana if the pay is right. You know, those, those are long, hard winters it's, there. It's poverty with a view, they say. A Carhartt jacket with a logo would probably be enough for me to get out there. So A black one, though. Yeah, you need a black cowboy hat. I'm going to go hang with Metallica, get into horse husbandry. Oh, <laughs> you make it look so easy, Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think moving over to Casey, I think the biggest question is not the visions that he sees. I don't think Lee or the owl or Avery boning up on him or uh, the the military flashback. I don't know that any of them in particular and stop me if you disagree. I don't think any of them in particular is super important. I think more what it led to him about the paths, the two paths to take that we don't get to see unfortunately that's the most important thing to talk about is what are they what what is uh i saw the end of us mean did he see the end of him and monica did right. he see the end of him and then the, as the duttons the, who's the duttons in a reservation yeah who's the us in that do you guys have a guess do you have a feeling what's your take i was actually kind of drawing a line back to the conversation that you know john had with the judge saying about you know like not sure what this place is going to look like in a hundred years like is, is he talking about like overall destruction is it very personal like, i wasn't sure but i did go as far as that that there could be like larger end of the ranch just because of this title of this episode the gloom and doom that we were talking about earlier i appreciated the vision quest in in terms of just getting a chance to see what the things were weighing on casey's mind obviously the death of his brother his military career this potential other woman kind of thing lingering in his head but him moving forward was so important to me this season he has been in such a limbo zone where we never can really tell exactly what is he doing he bought the house monica's pregnant it felt like if you just read those points you'd feel like he's moving forward but like his spirit and his brain and his soul wasn't and you know they did a great job with the wolf imagery the whole time but I'm really curious I hope that this is a definitive line of moving forward now they left it so ambiguous but I need him to move forward he's such a strong person that he he needs a clear path I still feel like the choice was between sort of you know his Dutton life and his life with Monica. I'm not sure what other like bigger meanings there could have been tied to that, but it still feels like he has to sort of pick one. You know, either he can be happy at home with Monica and his family or he can, you know, advance the ranch. Well, it's like he either helps out with the ranch at the expense of Monica, yeah. right? Or vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how it feels. Each requires too much of him to do both for long. I think mm-hmm. I think that's what the end of us meant. I think it was larger than him and Monica. I think 
it was the end of life as he has lived it. The time has come where he has to choose a life path. Uh, and, I, and I think that's probably larger than just him and Monica specifically. I just feel Casey has always been such a stand-up guy, the most stand-up guy, I think, in the show. If mm-hmm. they have him specifically leave pregnant Monica for Avery who they've never really spent a lot of time building these two up together. People will fucking take to the streets with pitchforks and torches. It would be a huge character assassination for them to do that, I think. I just don't think this has anything to do with Avery specifically. Do you think it's just like, you know, representative of like, I don't know, questioning his loyalty to Monica just generally? Yeah. But yeah, maybe that just confusion of like, do I really want this? Because I mean, if you kind of think about it, they were however young they were having a baby, like... Maybe he felt like he had to marry her kind of situation. I know he said he wanted to, but there's all these other factors to it. You know, so maybe he's sort of questioning the original intent of him and Monica, but I don't think it's specifically about Avery. I think that, you know, when you, there's something else out there, it's like, okay, do I want this, what I have, or do I want something else? I don't want it to be this, but all the stuff that he saw were very serious regrets, right? He had some role in the in the pilot cattle battle, he was specifically helping Monica's brother, which is what led to Lee's death. Yeah, exactly, them, right? exactly. In the business with the uh, military unit, he orders a guy forward who steps on a landmine. The rest, the rest of the unit looks like they get killed, except for maybe just Casey's own ferocity is the only thing that saves him. So then they show this, like you said, the boning portion. Does that imply that there was something that between them that when you play back his treatment of her when she's like, do you believe in love at first sight? And he just gives her like a wicked cold shoulder in in like the like, nope, love my wife. Bye. Kind of way. If you you cast that new light on it, what if there was this other thing on her with her and he just gives her that treatment like, oh, Casey. Yeah, I mean, it could be just an avenue not explore. Remember, I mean, when when Avery comes in the scene, him and Monica are not in a great place, which is basically the entire series. Uh, they're not in a great place, uh, you know, except for maybe the season, which, again, they're still not in a great place. This is the best place they've probably been in, which is not great. So, you know, there may be this like this uh, road not taken regret. But I still I think I agree with Steph. I think this was larger than just Avery. I think Avery is a stand-in for the reservation and and like loyalty to, to loyalty, Monica and, and loyalty to Monica and, and yeah and and to that way of life. You know, I think he identifies as Native American as he does a Dutton. I really do. I, I think the the whole idea that he is Wolf and Wolf is him and is inside of him is I think he's very much tied to that people and to that culture. You know, in terms I guess of like where you want this to go and what you think is coming for next season, do you think that the Broken Rock tribe and what they're going through, like, does that factor in more? Do we see more of Mo? Do we see more of Rainwater? Where do you think that their their future lies in this story? I feel like it has to go back to talking more about the about the reservation, about everything that was going on there. I mean, Rainwater and that entire storyline has really just been so quiet. I appreciate that they've taken on Monica and Tate and Casey as like a personal project. And that's kind of what we've seen them do. Like they've been I almost like think in my mind as like as like doing this like personal outreach to this family who has gone through this this huge, disastrous couple of years. So I appreciate that. But we do need to get back to the larger issues 
duties of the entire group and what exactly is going to happen between Rainwater and the Duttons. Bringing Mo in more was great to be able to see him and see him in action with Casey. There's a lot of great like mentoring there. And that's what leads me to believe that Casey is going to head that direction versus the Duttons, because I feel like we need to have that tension again. We need to and we need the spotlight over with them over with the reservation. And they've definitely taken a back seat this season and the way that like you mentioned that they're spending an inordinate amount of time like the basically the tribe's chief and the chief's right-hand man are are deeply invested in figuring out casey and his family that's kind of kind of a lot of resources being spent on on just this one tiny little interest could it be they're investing in Casey as the potential next leader of or head or whatever you want to call it of, of the Dutton Dutton Ranch, maybe. Are they just good people and they just help people in need? Possibly. But yeah, they've got to come back to the forefront because politically behind the scenes, if the idea of the all the stuff that was going on in the first couple of seasons it's still there probably for rainwater as as a as a concern and uh i think his position's elected yeah i believe so so at some point his people are going to want to know where they're at on these issues and and one of those issues was dealing with the dutton ranch yeah i think it would it, it needs to come back to the forefront a little bit or make its play uh, you know is, are they dealing with casey as like the next potential head of the ranch or what I also kind of, you know, worry that I'm going to go back to season one when Rainwater told John when John had him arrested, you know, his plan is to take his ranch. And while they've agreed to disagree and agree to be enemies today, but, you know, tomorrow we have to work together. We're still enemies at the end of the day. Like, I feel like Rainwater's card still hasn't been played. Like, mm-hmm. he's still agree. he's still out there. And yes, he is interested in this, you know, family that's in need of his help. And it, one just happens to be a Dutton. But I'm also concerned that, you know, he still has this hand to play. But now that he knows more about John, about Casey, that he's going to be able to use some of this stuff to his advantage. Do you guys think maybe the governor's race in general will give the opportunity to sort of deal with like, I mean, it can easily bring spotlights onto different issues that the governor would have to deal with. I think there's an interesting collision point here with the governor's race. Whether it's John or it's Jamie, who's now back in the fold, you know, I think one of the two of them starts off season five. I think we're going to have a time jump. My personal prediction is I think Jamie is going to be the governor now that he is firmly back under John's control because it's easier for John to be the guy behind pulling the strings versus being the one up front. It allows him the best of both worlds. But I think there's a collision point there with John and his newfound morality. Think back to when he takes Carter to the Buffalo Valley and he's talking about how the Buffalo and the Native Americans, the way we they've been treated by the American government is not very dissimilar. John has this softening position and he has had a working relationship with Rainwater and Mo the last seasons, but particular this season. And then you have him, he's, he's talked about the treatment of the Native Americans this season, I think a couple of times with a sadness to his tone. We have the very specific flashback that they chose to use from 1883 in, all the way back in episode one, where his great grandfather james dutton you know showed compassion towards the native americans that's not accidental that they threw that in there i think there is going to be a point 
where season five is going to be John knows that he can't win. So part of his whole turn is there has to be a compromise that leaves us set up best. And it wouldn't surprise me if John joining forces with the reservation and giving them concessions. Uh, I think he'd rather see the Broken Rock have parts of Yellowstone Ranch's land versus market equities and everything that they in progress represent. So I think there's this nice collision point of John and his new morality and you can't take it all with you and we're not going to win this battle, plus his feelings about the Native Americans and their treatment, plus having the power as governor to manipulate what gets done. I think there's this nice meeting point where uh, there's a partnership that's formed with the reservation and the ranch. What are some questions that you guys want answered that you feel is too left undone from this season that you absolutely goddamn it need an answer on next season? <laughs> <laughs> well i mean summer is definitely a big you know card that's left out there dangling like what happens to her right now she's facing 37 and a half years of prison time but john's you know backroom dealings are looking to you know bring that down is that actually going to happen is his sway is his persuasive rates as strong as they once were does he still have the favor to curry with this judge that's a big question because he is invested in Summer. So somewhere along the line, he's decided to you know take up her mantle. So that is a big question for me. And just that that whole conversation that John had with the judge about what is this place going to look like in 100 years? Like, that's where my prediction for season five is going, is that there's going to be pushback on this encroachment into their way of life and like trying to figure out to strike a balance. Similar to Mike, what you said, trying to strike a balance between progress for progress's sake and being the wall that it bashes up against. There's going to be some, you know, rubber meets the road here where this pushback against this encroachment is going to happen, I feel. Do you think we can actually, like, stomach the softer side of the Duttons? Like, we like the Duttons because they're not, like, (laughs) compromising and... you know, working with their neighbors. Like, I think that you guys aren't far off and that that makes sense that he would work together with Rainwater and, you know, but I'm kind of thinking like, but that's not very Dutton-like for them to just be like, let's all work together. I agree. Then what's the fight anymore, really, you know? Yeah. I don't have a strong conviction as far as what's the next big fight for them. Like, I don't know what's coming next. Whereas sometimes I've had the feeling like, oh, this is going to happen or I bet this happens. And and at the end of this season finale, I'm just a little sort of lost as to where we are and what's happening next. Especially with Summer, I'm still not convinced that John is that all that in like, why is he so invested in her story? And is it just because it's what's right? And, you know, her situation isn't fair? Or is it something else? So I'm, I'm a little confused as to why she's still carried on, maybe into season five? Or is this the end of her storyline? Because if she is, then why? Like, she's not that big a part of their story. So I don't know. I feel a little lost as to what's coming next. But I don't know that the Duttons I, you need the fight. You can't have them just like right. But there's no fight against market equities, though. I mean, the the fight has to be with market equities because they're the I progress. Guess. I mean, yeah. I, I was rewatching episode one or two from the first season, and Rainwater gives the same speech that John does about progress is not my mm-hmm. jam, and I'm I'm you know it's the thing that's mm-hmm. gonna I'm, they're gonna smash against me. So there's a natural ally there to fight progress. That's the fight. They're gonna gear up. And fight progress in the form of Markwood equities, because right. even with all Beth did and, and Summer and her eco-terrorists did, that's not going away. Like they haven't torn it up. Yeah. They haven't destroyed that agreement. Market equities 
and Caroline Warner, they're still going to try and press forward. They want the future to be, you know, like what Colorado is. Yeah. It feels like we're um, like we're set up for a lot of problems with Beth next season. Like if she really is going to be a case brought against her and, and she may be facing prison time, like that's a huge storyline that will that we'll want to see, you know, that would be really dramatic. So I'm kind of like, I guess, looking forward to what happens with Beth and how she sort of gets out of this problem that she created. Yeah. And then the next sort of big question is Casey and, and it does feel like he has to choose one or the other. So if he chooses sort of, if you're going to say he chooses the reservation and Mount and Monica and Tate, then what does that mean for his relationship with John and and Beth and all that. So are they going to be able to still have Christmas dinner together or, or is this like the end of them or at the small table and then the smaller. Yeah. Table. <laughs> yeah. If you choose them, then you don't choose, you know, you're not a part of us or is there going to be a way for Casey to still be a part of the family? Well, one interesting thing, if John were to become governor and I agree, there should be a time jump, then he could just pardon summer and he would kind of probably do it unapologetically. Um, and Jamie could do the same do thing though. Apologetically. Right, exactly. Jamie could do the same thing, though, as governor. I mean, it would be so easy, you know, to just tap him on the shoulder and be like, first thing you're going to do is pardon Summer. Now, what would be fascinating is that if Beth's problems require a pardon, and now Jamie's got the upper hand in that sitch, that would be fascinating. Turn the tables right. I mean, a bit. She's going she's to be out in eight months. So if they do a time jump, they're going to do a time jump where basically she's either out or just about to get out. So I think it's more likely the pardon question comes up with Beth and bearing that investigation would be where an attorney general, as powerful as an attorney general of the state may, may be, may not be powerful enough to end a federal investigation, whereas a governor might be able to step in and save Beth's butt from you know the frying pan. Mike, I like to think about like when you were just talking about the the reservation and Yellowstone, I could 100 percent see a Yellowstone final series finale being somehow the land goes back to the reservation in a very voluntary kind of way, maybe because Tate is is now in charge of it. And so then that naturally makes it be, why wouldn't he be okay with his ranch being a part of the reservation? Whatever it is, like, I could really see that being a very natural and, and in theory, almost the most like satisfying way for people who would be like, it, he, Tate is a Dutton, you know, it, so it's still a Dutton, but it still went back to the people it belonged to in the first place. Then when we go back to our 1883, it's like there was like a real meshing of what happened. They still haven't fully even discussed the fact that there are Native American bones on that Dutton property ranch. That also has to come into play. I feel like they have laid that. They found the skeleton early on in this season and with the 1883 flashback. That whole thing also, as far as halting progress and and because if they find like a Native American burial ground, that's going to shut that down right away. And yeah. John and the Duttons are going to have to work with the broken rock in order to make that work in the best way possible to stop market equities. But I like Tate as this future. I mean, he's a Jon Snow, right? He's a Stark and a Targaryen. He's the one that unites mm-hmm. the houses. And it's not a podcast uh, for Yellowstone. And if I don't talk about Jon Snow, I don't know why. I like Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, I don't but know. Yeah, I mean, saying yet. It's not quite a podcast yet, so you sing. I sing a little bit beforehand. <laughs> I was doing some New Year songs, but um, uh, yeah. So yeah, he he's the one. He you're right. He's he's he connects both of them. You know, through John and his relationship with Tate, 
and Carter and all of that. Like, that's the future. And you have to start looking at that. Tate is not a little kid anymore. I don't know if you guys have seen Brecken, but like, he's getting big. He's, yeah. he's, yeah. he's going to, and when it, the show comes back from season five, it's going to be another year, year and a half of him growing up. Like, he's going to be like a young man at that point. So I'm excited to see where they go with that and unifying those two worlds. I think Piper or Summer on the show isn't going anywhere. I'm looking at some behind the scenes business and I knew that her husband, Stephen Kay, was a director on the show, but he is also an executive producer. He's a big director on the show. He does a lot of the And looking at his credits, he also produced Quantico and Covert Affairs, other shows upon which Piper was a star, a lead even. So is this a Dan mm. Fogelman, Madison's not going anywhere, Madison's only going to grow in her role? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, would you? No, for you, this is us watchers. I mean, so Dan Fogelman, his wife, plays Madison on the show. And we said the whole time, he's never going to write her out. Like, she's always going to have a big role because why would you lose that paycheck? And why would you purposely make your wife someone that was unliked in your show? Definitely, they're, they're going to stick around and be a likable character. So, yeah, I think that they're going to make Summer be... I, I don't want to say a saint, but I think that there will there's going to be some halos... Well, she's going to be an antagonist for Beth, who's going to be constantly needling her. With right? the devil Someone, horns on, with, right? So right, she's got to exactly. have the halo on the other but, one. But the way John is framing her, that she's not an eco-terrorist. She's not this scorch-the-earth-to-prove-a-point person. She's the common ground. She's the she's the compromise. She represents someone that John feels he can work with or live with, deal with in the use of the land, whose heart is actually in the right place that they'd rather see the land have a fence maybe versus an airport an, inter- inter- uh, an international airport so i think that is really summer's two-pronged thing one to be a needle to beth and with the relationship with her father but also as a compromised middle ground eco-friendly person who doesn't have cowboy values but agrees with them that airports and market equities is bad for montana you know what I mean? Like at this middle yeah. ground that, you know, you have to you have to get in bed with someone at some point. Oh, and we got confirmation that John got yeah. in bed. Might as well be five. <laughs> that Criterion uh, Coyote Ugly is on its way for you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, even, I love Piper Parabo. I was a big fan of Covert Affairs. So and and. Uh, don't stop the moonlight. Uh, a piano on a rooftop. Come on, you can't beat that. That that happens in uh, Coyote Ugly. We were all moved. <laughs> <laughs> can't fight the moonlight. But guys, we forgot to ask one very important question that was posed in this episode. Please, beans or no beans in your chili? I don't know. I feel like this is like the uh, the pineapple on pizza debate. Like uh, I, I'm I'm good with it. Like if you know. yeah. Like Hormel, so Hormel has I love- like chili that has beans. I mean, I've made beans with uh, chili with beans, and it's fine. Funny, I love them. Like, who made Texas the authority on this? I'm like, uh, because they invented everything. <laughs> so funny. I actually read an article about that, uh, and, and that and that chili chili is like uh, like tracked back to the chili queens. 
from the 1800s. They were these women, they were these Mexican ladies who would make their chili and go down to like the workers at like night at like different factories and stuff and like spoon them like hot chili. Like they would set up like little colorful wagons and stuff and like serve food chili. Like, like, yeah, like early, <laughs> hey, but they were yeah. non, non-motorized food trucks. But yes, yeah, basically and like basically serve their chili and their chili nice. did not have beans apparently. Oh, it was okay. just... I was going to ask like do you have like a recipe or there beans in it right can i get I a mean, recipe I, for that i don't have a dog in this fight i've had chili both ways but everything i read said texas no beans in your chili and that is not like there's a there's some organization that specifically says <laughs> beans cannot be in your chili and call it chili some chili organization but jimmy's right then it's stew like if you're just putting whatever that's stew well so what, was it, what was the point what was the point yeah. that he was making that like you're just throwing all your shit in from the fridge in there like that's not yeah, chili no, that's, 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 not that's, 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 that's what teeter made that was at some bit yeah, stuff that she made that's bit. like oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's hilarious that, that's garbage day in your fridge that's not right. chili Jesus. like i gotta cook it or throw it out let's cook it <laughs> right Rust. i don't know texans what do you guys think yeah we have a cafeteria at work which is actually in texas you know because because the, the building's in texas but they still bother to call it texas chili <laughs> and when you get that it's yeah it's like french toast i guess in it's like calling France. buffalo wings buffalo right. wings in exactly. buffalo yeah. right. exactly but if you do get that and it will tear your insides out uh it does not <laughs> include beans <laughs> maybe it should just to bind some shit up right <laughs> No, it, it creates more of a free-flowing type situation. Oh. <laughs> I, will, I, will count, I, will counter, I will counter that with Wendy's chili, uh, which I actually enjoy. <laughs> Wendy's chili has two kinds of beans in it, so and they call it chili. So, I mean, I don't know how much Texans are eating Wendy's, but uh, it, up here anyway, it's the most readily available chili, and it's pretty good, and it has beans in it, so yeah. I don't know. But what about your colon health afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I subscribe to the song, you know, the more you eat, you know, etc. etc. We like to Steph and Sheila asked us to bring our A game to the podcast tonight. Right? So we thought we'd uh, leave you with <laughs> all the best fart humor we could bring. As we approach two hours, we're down to fart songs. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. I did laugh. There was a there was a great fart joke in this uh, episode where Jake, you know, when they walk in, when Jimmy and Emily walk in, is like, "This is going to go over like a fart in church." Yeah. <laughs> I appreciated that. I wonder if that was one of those moments where you're just on set and you yeah, just like are just like, okay, improvised. everybody, say say something, go around like, the table, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And Jake got the call on that one. I like how that's how the bunkhouse boys feel. Like they just feel like they are ragging on each other. Speaking of bunkhouse boys, during the uh, the goodbye line, Aww. who the hell is that first guy? That's what I said. <laughs> who is that guy? That's Ethan. He's one who? of the bunkhouse boys. He's Ethan. His name is Ethan. <laughs> He's been there. He's just low key. Like you got to pay attention. Like I didn't do the credits. Oh my what? gosh. I've, has he ever had a line in this? Is he no, branded? 
No, he's not brave. No, he's not brave. He was sick that day. He was sick that day when they yeah. when they put a hit out on everyone. So huh. yeah. I was like, I said so, to say, I'm like, who is that guy? Yeah, his name is Ethan, and he's been there, and he's just like oh, he's one of those like whatever. tertiary ranch hands that doesn't really you know get in on the action. Okay, if so. you say so. Just crossing T's and dot and I's as we're doing uh, rando uh, facts here at the end of the episode. <laughs> is this uh, about Metallica? Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I shared a picture of him in the Twitter DM that we all have, guys. And uh, he's a beautiful horse. And you should he's take a look at him. He is. He's yeah. very pretty. Uh, Vision Quest Woman was credited as Robin Deer Towner, who has not an IMDb page. So I'm not sure what her connection to the show is or how she came to be here. But if you guys are at home keeping track of who is who, uh, she was credited. Robin Deer Towner credited as Vision Quest Woman. That's the metaphorical wolf lady. Uh, at the oh, end okay. of Casey's vision, just in case you were curious. And maybe she's local to the production up there because she didn't necessarily feel actory. She, actory? yeah, I mean, like I said, not no, not a, not one IMDb uh, entry on her name, so maybe just a local or or whatever. So, or maybe a- she's just actory is a podcast t- technical word, Steph. You got to yeah, really actory, podcast yeah. a long time I, to to get into <laughs> these guys, y'all's vocabulary. Ten dollar words, above yeah. Mine. Uh, <laughs> now we're just making up words. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, unfortunately, I think that is a wrap for us on season four of Yellowstone. Hopefully we don't have to wait too long. No more delays in next season. But we want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for everyone who subscribes and downloads, rates us. And we also want to say thank you to our guests today from our Pod Clubhouse friends. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks a lot. Keep the party going. Listen to our podcast for 1883, which is on the Hells. same feed as this podcast. So if you're already subscribed yeah. to that, you'll continue getting 1883 podcasts. So definitely please check that out. Yes. So if you have not yet subscribed, make sure you do that now. And don't forget, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to the Yellowstone Podcast. While you're there, particularly at Apple and now on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review for the show. It helps a lot in promotion of the show and its rankings. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you again for season five. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.